listening to Make It, a podcast by Banzai Creative that helps creatives in film get where they're going faster by sharing the advice, knowledge, and insights of professional creatives across the film industry. I'm your host, Chris Barkley, and with me today is my good friend and Make It podcast co-host, Nicholas Buds. Chris here with another episode of the Make It Podcast, and this is an Indie Talk Week, and that means I'm here with my good buddy and co-founder of Bonsai Creative, Nicholas Bugs. Nick, say hello. Hello, hello. Good to be back, man. Yes, it is. And what would happen if I shared a little data with you? Well, I don't know, man. I prefer my data <laughs> so, <laughs> so i don't know you throw some data at me i don't potato. know what i'm gonna do <laughs> potato tomato <laughs> right <laughs> see you later tomato um i'm gonna that. share some yeah. data with you that i think is kind of fascinating mm-hmm. and it really hit home today okay as I started to think about the indie filmmaker's journey in the line they have to walk as it pertains to this data. So here's the data. Okay. Okay. 33% of everything a person tells you is a lie. According to... uh, Well... well, (laughs) The data is leaning towards that finding, of course, in science. And this this comes out of the field of data science. So as all science is, it's falsifiable. So maybe we find out later that that number is slightly up or down one way or the other. But right now, it looks, it appears to be that one third of everything someone says to you is a lie, according to Seth Stevens Davidowitz who's a data scientist, and he also wrote the book, Everybody Lies, which is a top-notch book. And it made me think about the conversation we had in our 2021 wrap-up, which was awesome and fun. Everyone should go listen to that. Yeah, super fun. It's in the feed. Um, We had a conversation about fake it until you make it. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to expound on that a little bit today. So we can talk about a couple of areas in which indie filmmakers and the supporters of indie filmmakers, the viewers, their customers, investors, you name it, all sort of fudge the details a little bit in what amount of fudgery, fibbery, is acceptable and what amount turns you into a fraudster. And we can start that conversation with fake it till you make it, but then, you know, maybe turn it into other areas, turn left, turn right, and go into different areas of where these lies come up. But with fake it till you make it, it's generally, I would say the perception of it is generally positive. 
right? Like it is. Yeah. It's something that you say about a person who is really trying to do something that other people think is delusional. And if yeah. not delusional, just, you're not and if not delusional, some, someone thinks is, is really low success rate, very difficult, um, rare. <clears throat> I know that, for example, when there were people around me that I told that I was going into film many, many years ago when we started in 2015, I got a you know, hammered with questions about money and the feasibility of this. I actually had one EP tell me at a cocktail party that, you know, you, you cannot make money in independent film. It just cannot happen. So don't even do it. And, you know, you're crazy to do it, you know? And it it's one of those things where, when people don't believe in you to start out with now you're, if you're like me and competitive, you're like, okay, now I'm even more motivated to do it and to hell with you for thinking that this is about the money anyway, you know, I'm going to try to do a thing and uh, I'm doing it. I'm having fun. I'm doing it with my best friend. Why not go after it? But when we started, we didn't have any credits. We didn't know anybody. We were coming out of tech we were coming out of publishing. My background is as a journalist and a marketer. Your background's in project management, IT, computer science. So we didn't have a background necessarily in film. We were definitely an outsider. So when we went to engage these filmmakers, I don't think it was like, I'm not sure it was the most intelligent thing to bring up that to those folks, right? So did we lie? Was that a lie of omission or were we just doing the positive side of fake it until you make it? Yeah, I think there's, so you said delusional, right? And I think the Which word Which by definition would, is incorrect. I'm saying in the colloquial way. Yeah, so I would say that that term, the fake it till you make it is more aspirational, mm-hmm. right? And, and I just remember that you just mentioned like, you know, in the early days when you know, we're talking to some filmmakers, you know, again, you know, we, we can name drop, right? I mean, I'm, it's one of those things where at this time where like we're sitting with Lakeith Stanfield, right? Yeah. At an yeah. early part of his career. And, you know, I remember walking the red carpet. Yep. It's an interesting thing, right? And for yeah. us at that early stage in our career and we're walking with, <laughs> you know, there's, there's Dick Gregory, right? Nick Cannon was there, right? There's other folks and you're walking Roseanne, the carpet Roseanne, Barr. Roseanne Barr was there. Uh, George Lopez, right? George but you're Lopez, walking the Wonder. carpet with these Omar people. Dorsey. Right. And some... <laughs> it goes name on and on. It was a ton of right, Name dropping. A ton but, of people there. But, but as you walk on the carpet, Chrissy people Pegan. will say things to you <laughs> like, what do you do? Yeah. Right? Yeah, or yeah, what yeah. are you? And I remember fumbling over that. I mean, 100% honest, right? This is kind of that imposter syndrome hit. It was like, I don't know if I should be here kind of thing. And maybe I shouldn't walk the red carpet. But even the photographer said, well, no, just what do you do? Right? And I said, well, I'm, I want to be a filmmaker. He's like, no, no, no. So are you here talking to filmmakers? Are you trying to do a thing? Like, are you working towards that? You're actively working? Then you're a filmmaker. Mm. Just say that. Just say it. Like you don't have to come. I don't know. No, because the filmmakers 
aren't like you think about it, right? There's the, the name, the word filmmaker, right? It's not film made. Mm. Right. So who you are is in the making, right? That whole process that you go through to meet people, to educate yourself, all those things that you're doing, you're in the filmmaking process. You're a maker of things, right? So it's all part of it. So don't, you know, sit back and have this imposter syndrome. There is that sense of fake it till you make it. Did I make anything yet? No, but I'm in the process. So be aspirational in your thinking and your belief towards yourself. Right. So I'm totally down with that. I'm like, yeah, man, I'm a, you know, even when I told, you know, I told, you know, the guy too, I was like, yeah, and I write poetry. Then say you're a poet. Yeah. Right. He's like, say it, say the thing. Yeah. Like, don't be shy about the thing that you are. It's like if Maya Angelou had walked down that red carpet, right. If she had never made a film a day in her life, do you think that she would feel imposter syndrome? No. Right. Because the power of her poetry, she is a poet. She can say that she can feel good about it. Walk down the carpet. So, you know, I feel like there's a little bit of that where it's just like, just say it, man. Even if you're on your way, as long as you know you're working towards it, I think you earn the title. Yeah, there's fear on the other side of it, like, uh, especially with writers. I'm a writer. Saying you're a writer is a dangerous phrase. Maybe not in real life, but in the mind of the writer. It's a dangerous Mm -hmm. phrase because... The very next question often is, right. what can I oh, read of yours? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> what have you written? What have you and written? And then yeah. you're sort of stuck because if your response isn't a planned one, isn't because you talked about fumbling and hubba da hubba da hubba da, like in yeah. the red carpet. <laughs> we hadn't had the chance to practice those responses yet. Right. And as we've worked together over the last six years, seven years, We've rehearsed and done really well. We understand how to give a great sort of media response to a tough question. But at the time, you don't know. So if you're just starting out as a writer and you say, I'm a writer, and someone hits you with the, well, what have you written? What can I read of yours? You might say something like, oh, um, well, I'm I'm, I'm working at Domino's Pizza right now. (laughs) (laughs) Wrong wrong answer. (laughs) Wrong, because yeah. then the person feels like you put them on to start the conversation that you tried to sort of elevate your status and you were trying to play a status game with them. And then you got caught in the status game. Yeah. And they took your queen off the board. <laughs> and now you're you're who you are. And then that makes that doubles down on your imposter syndrome. It's like, yep. OK, don't ever say that again. You work at Domino's. If your response is I'm working on my thing right now. It should be, uh, uh, here's what it's about, should be done at this time. That's a little bit better. Yeah. It's not perfect. It's a little bit better because then that person you're talking to, in the back of their mind, honestly, they're thinking, okay, well, they're not an established writer. That's what they're thinking. And it's okay that they think that, but it gets you further on in the conversation it makes you an interesting person the person you see in the mirror mm-hmm. right so if you're one of these aspirational people you're going up to the person you see in the mirror is okay but i'm trying to think what the perfect answer would be to, to that you know it, it you know it could be 
why don't you uh, <laughs> why don't you have lunch with me next week and I'll bring some of the things I've written, some of the samples I have. And then you have a week to write some samples. Yeah. So it's one of those fifth, things, whatever it is, your seventh, whatever it is, your 50th, yeah. whatever it is, um, because, you know, at some point, you know, it's, it's like the the some of the filmmakers that we are a huge fans of. Yeah. You know, they've done some things. Um, would you say that they're notable? No. But we know that by continuing to do what they do, at some point they're going to strike gold. Like everyone's mm-hmm. seen that picture, right? That that image of the person who's like, you know, with the pickaxe and they're digging, they're digging, they're digging. And then they stop right before they hit the diamond. Right, right. You know, is that yeah. that kind of thing? Well, that's digging through the mountain filmmakers. and they stop right before they get to the other side. Exactly. It's like, that's what our, these film, filmmakers are that we work with, that we know, that we love. It's like, no, they're going to continue digging. Yeah. Right. So, you know, when you go talk to someone, yeah, you might not be the thing that you want to be, that you aspire to be, but you're on your way. So for me, I've been like, yeah, I'm on my 10th manuscript. I'm on my, on my 10th screenplay. I'm on my 15th yeah. this, you know, and I'm going to have it reviewed by some folks. I'm hoping to move this one along, but that's, it shows that you're working at it. Right. Yeah. If you just if you just said the one thing, then that's when people kind of cut their eye at you like, oh, these guys grain and just starting. Yeah. But, you know, most of us, when we even start on a creative career path, we've been in that creative zone for years before we actually move into that creative career path. So let's say for me, you know, me, I love writing poetry. You know, over the past several years, I've written hundreds, thousands, you know, if not thousands at this point of poems. Yeah. Right. So even before that, how many did I write when I was in middle school and high school and college leading up to that? Right. I've written thousands of poems. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's when you get to that point where like, yeah, I've written 10, you know, like 10, 20 screenplays and you're mm-hmm. just refining that art as you go. But, yeah, I think that that, you know, whole fake it till you make it really is on that. Again, it's aspirational, might not quite be there just yet but you're going to speak it into the world as if it's just around the corner. I was just going to say that once you say it out loud and hopefully the first time you say it out loud, isn't at that dinner party. Hopefully you've said it out loud to yourself. Hopefully you put it aspirationally on a piece of paper and stuck it to your refrigerator. So you have to see it. The Holsty manifesto that's behind my head right here, here that says, this is your life. That's my declaration. That's that's the thing that I have to look at every day. I got it that big. There's different sizes you can get. I get the biggest size they sell on purpose so that I'm forced to look at that every day and remember that above all else, create things, be creative, be a happy person, et cetera, and, and make tough, to, tough choices so you have an easy life and make, instead of making easy choices and having a tough life kind of thing. But there are caveats to, to what you said. For example, if you say out loud that you're a writer, it's time for you to get in the dirt. You know, don't, don't say you're a writer in social circumstances and every time we see you, you're really a talker, not a writer. Or you're a yeah. conversationalist, not a writer. Like you're not grinding on a script or a poem or a song or anything. You know, some of the indie creators I love so much around that are that, that are in our sort of you know uh, ecosystem our universe if you will 
What we love about them is that they are actually in the dirt. They are Daniel Day Lewis and there will be blood in the opening right. scene. Like they're in the ground and they're they're willing to risk it all to be there. There are a lot of people that say they're a thing and then they don't do anything toward it whatsoever. Right. Yep. But they want to maintain that identity because that identity is so connected to their their self-worth. Yeah. Or and that's where it gets tough because I don't even know. To, yeah. Yeah. You know, is that a fraud? You know, if, if it's if it's sadly connected to your self-worth, but but you really don't have the passion for it. You know, it's a fun thing. Art is a fun thing to lie about. Yeah. Or to be associated with. Yeah. Right. Especially if you're you just happen to be friends with the one that made it. Yeah. Yeah, it's a fun <laughs> right? thing to like, lie and say cool you. To be. It's a fun thing to say you do. You know, like it's yep. a like no matter what the art is, it's fun right. to say. And we lie about that stuff. Going back to the beginning, thirty three percent everything we say. How often do you drink? Eh, a couple of drinks a week. Nope, <laughs> seven drinks a week minimum. <laughs> right. How often do you work out? I probably do about every other day. Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> Three times every two weeks. Right. How many carbs do you Yeah, probably usually you're carbless. No, no. <laughs> so. Right. Yeah. At what point do we cross that line? And it becomes, I'd say the other caveat too, maybe not with a writer or not with a filmmaker, but with those who want to engage filmmakers with opportunities. There's nothing wrong with being a young editor or distributor, or maybe you're in music and you started a a record label Mm -hmm. or whatever it is. But when you're on the taking side, I think you have to be more clear in it because then you really can be a a grifter, right? Yeah. I think that that's, I mean, I think it works on both sides, right? There's, that whole fake it till you make it aspirational thing can work again if you're a distributor, right? Yeah. You're gonna because you need films to distribute, right? Yeah. So you can say that, hey, I'm a distributor. Well, what are you until you get your first film to distribute? <laughs> right? It's like you don't have any films, so, but you, you got to say it. You got to yet. But when you get the film, you got to do the thing. Like you said, you got to get right. in the dirt, right? It's okay if you fake it a little bit, right? You got the infrastructure to make you look a certain way. You know, it looks like you've done all these things. You may even get, you know, some testimonials from people who just like who you are as a business person or a person in the industry, but it may not have to do anything with your ability to distribute. Right. right? These are all the games that we play. But once you get the thing, do the thing. Right. Distribute that sucker. Distribute the hell out of it. Right. Like, but yeah, that's I think that's when you get in that that line. I think that's where we're kind of going now. It's like. Well, when do you get out of that aspirational right. stuff into just straight up lying, right? And I think that's it. When you don't do the deed, right? If you do not meet the expectations of your role, right? Because the expectation, but I, but I think, of being but, I think a writer, but I think the weight is heavier on the other on the take side. Well, I, I you know, don't if you know, don't make the role of being a screenwriter, no one's gonna. Then that's on no, you. No one's gonna nail your balls to the ground for that. 
or right. what, whatever the female equivalent is. Uh, <laughs> like no one's going to do that to you. And, and they know it's going to hit your pride and they don't have to do that to you because you're crushing yourself by not doing the thing you said you're going to do. Okay. But if you're yeah. on the take side and you don't do the thing, that's to me bigger. It's heavier. It's, well, it's more, you're hurting somebody else. It's, in the process. Right. It's more, it's, yeah. you can't afford to even do it one time. And I, you want the calculus for a tragedy? Have two people on both sides of the of the fence in film be fake it till you make it types. Yeah, right. If you are both faking it till you make it on both sides of that equation, well, well, no, no, no. That I'll, is the I'll, recipe. That is the calculus for a tragedy. Well, listen, because, listen I think because it's the okay. fake distributor or the fake opportunity maker knows that you're faking it, so you can't call them out. And the fake filmmaker or screenwriter or project developer or producer knows the other person's faking it. So they're not going to call them out and they're yeah. just going to, and, and the whole relationship is going to be built on a lie and the lie will become the reality. Yeah. And I think it's okay if they're both aspiring to do it like legitimately. Yeah. Right. Again, if your heart is in the right place, I think it all work out. I think for me it's when the distribution side or whatever the taking side is, right? It could be a salesperson, it could be distribution. I mean, who, who knows? It could, anything on that side, if they're not legit, if they're not actually doing the thing that they say they're going to do, then again, they're not just hurting themselves, but they're hurting someone else. Like you said, the taker, whatever they've taken from, whomever they've taken from, they're going to get hurt along the way. And it's I think that's where thing. the lies just don't, they don't add up. You can't, you can't lie like without the aspiration of becoming that's I think to me, right. that's where it comes down to it. I, I think you can have the aspiration and then still be sort of uh, on the wrong side of fake it till you make it. If you use the wrong language, like I could be an aspiring distributor or an inspiring investor. But um, if I say, if I say that I'm that my firm is bigger than it really is because I'm faking it until I make it and I want to put my best foot forward. Like things we do on calls, the language is so, so important because we'll tell a filmmaker, Hey, we are a five employee boutique yep. house and we cannot afford to make a line of bad investments. That one sentence changes everything. Whereas, you know, we've heard others where it's, where it's like everything is shrouded. No, yeah, like I've worked with so-and-so and I know so-and-so and this is how it really works. And then you find out, you know, just because they're in your phone book doesn't mean you're friends. <laughs> or just because you know what I mean, or the money right. really isn't there. There really isn't an office. They really haven't done this work. They really don't know, like you know, all their posts on Instagram or setups, you know, it just, to me, you've now crossed a line through your language. Yeah, I agree. I mean, again, <laughs> even though you could truly be aspirational. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. But again, you got to do the deed. That's what it comes down to. You got to put in the work. 
Yeah. Right. You got to make it happen. And if you're not working towards making it happen, then that's when the fraud comes in. It gets, it gets, it gets a little, yeah, it gets gray. The longer you do it without grinding it, like without really doing the thing, the more murky it really, really starts to get. Cause the more pressure you have to present a more viable front than, than what really exists. Let's talk about though, what happens on the filmmaker side when they actually have it, like they're not faking it till they make it. They're filmmakers, they have a thing and now they're looking for investment dollars or they're looking uh, to make a big splash and you get the prospectus, Nick, and they have their comps. And the comp is, let's say the film's a $500,000 film and their comps are all three to $5 million films. Maybe they're million dollar films, but they all have, let's say an A-list actor in it and their film doesn't. Um, and they find, it, it's easy, I think it's easy to cherry pick a comp into your prospectus and then create a narrative around why it should be there, Right. Yeah, I think it's it's funny you mentioned that. I think about so that's it's a lie, right? It's like when it comes down to it, you're you're lying to your investor, right? But I, I think is maybe it's not as simple as that. Because I think what's happening in those cases is that actually they're lying to themselves. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They just don't know it. Right. Like that's the that's the tough part. It's like that's not really one, that's not how it works anymore, period. Right. These these comps, unless unless you're, you know, let's say you're Tom Cruise and you're comp in a movie that you were in before, you know, like mm, yeah. your comp as an indie doesn't work, you know, period. It's more like like what are you what's your plan? Yeah. Right. Not what are you hoping that luck and fairy dust will make happen for you? <laughs> it's like, no, what is your actual plan? So I think that that part is, you know, you're lying to yourself. And then because you're lying to yourself, you're therefore lying to the potential investor because it won't work out that way. Like you said, it's a $500,000 film versus a $5 million film. The cast is not the cast that you have. It's not the same thing. So it's like, that's where that delusional stuff comes in, right? You have to escape from the delusion of this and then speak reality to the potential investor but I think the the challenge with that, the reason why filmmakers lie to themselves is because without the lie, it becomes very, very hard. Yeah, I was going to say the question we want to answer in this conversation is what should a filmmaker do when they're trying to do a raise? Like, like how much stretched data and information can you provide before it becomes fraudulent. If, if your goal is to do a raise and you're trying to do a raise, you're not going to come in and say, you know what? My film is dog shit. <laughs> we have a great score, but we don't have the rights to any of the songs. Um, <laughs> well, you the can't do the that. Budget, the, bu- like the budget's me. 500, but it should be 3 million. Uh, our actor, you know, like, like at what point do you have, like you, you need to sprinkle or as one uh, producer told me uh, the great Serena Khan, sometimes you have to roll that turd and glitter. Uh, 
<laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's still a turd, though. Still smells, yeah, it's, right? There's so a turd. There's a turd underneath <laughs> that glitter. That's but, right. But, so. you know, as a producer, that's a great piece of advice. It is. As I, an I investor, think, you hate to hear hey, it. No, I think that there's, there's... Because there's a turd under there. There's benefit to being, you know, a cheerleader, right? You want to be a proponent for whatever it is you're doing. But at the same time, again, it has to be based in reality. And I think that's where this stuff comes in, where it's like, you got to base it in the reality, especially of today, right? Like in what world, again, like I just, I don't want to keep going back to this. Like in what world do those comps work? They like, they just don't. They're like there's, I know you've got Marvel and DC, you know, exploring the idea of the multiverse, you know? So yeah. maybe if someone steps out into a different universe, that crap will work, but it doesn't, it doesn't work in this universe. <laughs> so it's like, no, it doesn't work. So well, I mean, it works have, enough. It works enough because it, because it, no, persists. it, no, it used to work. That's what I'm saying. Like yeah. it used to work yeah. and th- they're just holding on to that now because they right. don't know any no tradition. Got it. Exactly. Yeah. So now it's like, no, you gotta do something different. So what I'm saying is like, stop the lie, stop lying to yourself. And then, I think at that point, that's when, as soon as you stop the delusion, that's when you're able to actually put in the real work that's necessary in order to get your thing to move forward, right? And sometimes, you know, I've told you this before with some filmmakers, you know, maybe the delusion is that you get to direct the thing that you write. Yeah. Right? So let's get rid of that. Stop lying to yourself that that's the right thing to do and sell your script, right? Right. Or... Stop lying to yourself. Don't sell your script. Hold on to your script, but get a director, right? Get someone else who really believes in what you're doing and then you do it together, right? So, but I think there's a lot of those lies that we tell ourselves. So it's like when you said 33% of what we tell people is a lie, sometimes I wonder like, is it actually the lie or is it just a based on a lie that we tell ourselves? Right. Like this is going to be successful because blah, blah, blah. But it's like, no, you're lying to yourself. (laughs) And I'm not sure how much of a hardliner you are on, on lies. Um, I may be putting myself in a position of weakness here, but I'm not a really big hardliner on lies. To me, I think I've always known that people are going to tell you lies for a variety of reasons. And you, and if you're savvy and you're paying attention, you can figure out which lies matter and which ones don't. That's all. And then you can trust the person to live up to the lies that they tell you. And this could be the fact that I grew up very modestly around, a, you know, around hardened criminals. But <laughs> <laughs> so, you, so you learn to like part <laughs> the bullshit lie from the really serious lie. Right. But um, not that that's my life anymore. But I don't really, I'm not a hardliner on a lie. They're like, you have a friend, they have a baby, the baby's ugly. You can't say the baby's ugly. You can't. You want to. (laughs) That is an ugly baby. Oh my (laughs) God. (laughs) But who, what kind of person are you? You have to pick and prioritize. Do you want to be the honest person? who destroys the feelings of your friends and family? Or do you want to be someone who's capable of telling a friendly white lie to keep things moving? I had a friend named Jim. 
And Jim would go to dinners, group dinners. We'd have these, and I, we throw good dinners and we, we, you know, we do it right. It's, you know, it's not something we've talked about before on the, on the cast, on the pod. (laughs) Jim would come with a book and AirPod Pros, or at the time, AirPods, not Pros. They weren't out yet. To the dinner. He would never take them out. And he would read a book at the dinner table while everyone else was having a conversation. Mm. Why not just not come? Tell us anything. Tell us any lie. (laughs) Don't be the honest... Don't be the honest guy that shows up to the (laughs) dinner with your book and your podcast so that, which wasn't make it so that you, (laughs) so you can ignore us or like show us to our face that we're not as, we're not as interesting and complex as you or whatever Um, he's listening to, you know, it, and he would swear like, Oh no, I'm, if you want to talk to me, I'll, I'll take him out. Like, Bro, just no, bro. Don't no, don't don't do this. And so yeah. we're in this really unique spot, Nick, where we're producers and investors, mm-hmm. and we have this platform for conversation, right? So it's funny because me mentioning that I don't have that hard line, it works out because my advice to how to pitch to an investor to a producer would be different than my advice that I would give to an investor hearing a pitch to, from a producer. So when when I when when Jason and I did film investment series, that's my advice to investors. Okay, you just got told a barrage of lies. <laughs> Take a day off, cool off, right? Let the love affair stop a little bit so you can think rationally. Right? Yeah. You got to be you know rational in your thought. So just Take a take a twenty four hour cool off or a thirty six hour cool off, right before you make your next step. To a producer, I might say, "Hey, roll that turd and glitter." Fine language. The most important thing in any cell is narrative. Can you create a story around the thing you're talking about? Yeah. Now, is the story a lie, or is aspirational. it aspirational? Or, or is it aspirational? <laughs> Is it just glittery, a glittery way to present a reality? So I think in this, this thing, we have to, there's a volley going on. There's a little tennis match going on where you have to be able to parse as an investor when you're being lied to. And if not, you're going to be taken for the ride of your life. That's going to end in your absolute ruin. So it's Uh, funny. So it's like investors (laughs) beware, but at the same time, it's like filmmakers, Roll that turd and glitter. Let's roll that turd. Right, right. Exactly. I was saying. So it's one of these interesting things where, but I would also say to a producer, don't be an outright liar. Of course. You know, if 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 we say, if an investor says, Why are you making this film? And you say, you know, you want to honor your mom that that you know is on dialysis, who might die in the next two or three years. And we find out your mom lives in California and, and, <laughs> you know, and, and uh, surfs every day and right. uh, is, is, is the most, is the, is a vision of health. Well, that's not a good way to start the conversation. 
You know, like you can't, there, there, you don't outright lie. Yeah. There's, there's lines again, there's this, basically it's all about the lines you cross. Right. And that's it. That's where it's just like aspiration backed by perspiration. And look, you're allowed to tell the lie that you don't know the answer to, or the lie you don't know is a lie. So right. a lie we hear all the time outside of comps is, well, well we want to keep the budget low so that you'll make your money back faster. Well, I think that's the truth out of their mouth. Right. What I hear is a misrepresentation of the reality of the film business. Right. Again, it's, it's a lack of understanding. That's why I think it's, it's less, that is less than a lie. It's more of just ignorance, like you said, of the realities of things. Let's talk a little bit about where sometimes I feel like we're hard on creatives, probably because we're creatives ourselves and we're looking ourselves in the mirror and saying, we need to make sure we're doing these things or whatever, or, or we're giving advice and we're giving mentorship a lot. Anyway, we, and we're doing consults as is. Yep. Let's flip it and talk about the consumers of art and indie film in particular and film in particular and the lies they tell they're 33% because, and we ne- we've never done this before. Some of the viewers are filmmakers also, just to be fair. Yep. Just to be fair. And we are guilty of this lie. We've had to have been at some point. And the lie is that we want to see a movie that's based on human problems and human narratives. And we're tired of these damn Marvel and DC films. (laughs) That's a lie. That's probably... Not even probably. That is a statistical lie. That is a lie that you can you can run a million models against and see that no, we kind of like those big movies. And we kind of like those movies that we don't have a risk of having a bad time. We don't have a risk of being put off politically. We don't have a risk of investing in a performance that doesn't quite hit the mark like you get sometimes in indie film. And, but we don't want to admit that. And there's a couple of examples of this, right? Like, so if you look at Avatar, which is at the time it came out and it might still be the, the, the greatest, the highest grossing movie of all time. They spent $150 million on marketing. And the question was posed. Did it become the highest grossing movie of all time because of the $150 million in marketing? Or did it become the highest grossing movie of all time because there was nothing like it at the time and the product was great? And people actually wanted to go see it. And there's a reason why the highest grossing movie of all time is Avatar or something like it if if that record's been broken. And it's not the color purple. (laughs) I mean, it's not Philadelphia. It's not American beauty. It's not, you know, it's not a foreign film. There's a reason why. And I think as viewers, we're a little, I think we always appreciate a great narrative film, but then you find out that 
we're not willing to go to the theater for it. We don't want to spend money on it. I mean, I think you told a story about a friend who was a so-called friend, but wanted to wait to watch our film until the film was free. Right. Yeah. To go watch it. So, but his aspirational self as a viewer, I'm a guy who's a buddy that, that has a buddy that makes films and I support him because I support indie film. Right. I don't think you yeah, do, bro. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, <clears throat> you know, it's also the, the one part I think you left out uh, was just being a part of the conversation. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, um, like the latest Spider-Man movie. Yeah. You know, if you didn't see the latest Spider-Man movie, like, are you human? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> right, right. You know, it gets into that thing where it's like, well, you, you can't be in the conversation, especially at a certain age. Right. So if you're a kid age, what, seven to 17, yeah. you know, you have to be able to talk about Spider-Man. Right. You know, so let's take it a little bit older, right? Let's go from 18 to 35. That's 1838. 1835, I think, is like the standard demo, though. Yeah, we got to talk about about Spider-Man. You know, so you still, right? So it's like you still have to be in the conversation, right? Otherwise, you're going to be left out. So there's this part of that. So, and you're right. You know, I think there are a lot of filmmakers who begrudge the studio films and the tentpole things and, the constant remakes of things, right? So when you look at what these movies make, you're like, wait a second. So you're telling me that that movie made a billion dollars mm-hmm. and not one independent filmmaker saw it? <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> it's like, mm, you know, so yeah. So there, I think there's a lie that we we tell ourselves and maybe we tell each other about how much we hate these things and, you know, you'd rather support... To me, the most damaging thing about that lie in particular is that, and again, I'm not saying that this is a blanket truth, right? So I'll say this, that the most damaging part about that lie could be that those filmmakers, indie or not, are not actually supporting independent filmmakers. Right, right. Like, that's the key. Like, if you're going to go spend that, you know, 16 to $18 per person in the theater for the tentpole thing, like, are you not willing to spend $1.99, right, to rent a really good indie film? Yeah. Yeah. That's the key for me. Well, I think the other bad thing is, is what it does to the budding filmmaker and their choice of story to tell, right? I've written two scripts. I think I'm going to make the horror film instead of the, the coming of age, because I think the horror film is what, you know, everybody tells me they'll watch or indie people will folks will watch and, and, and we can make some money doing right. Instead of the answer being tell a great story, tell a great story for it and be regardless of genre and you will probably win. But, but first things first, tell a story is king, tell a, tell a great story. So you end up making a genre film where the audience wasn't honest with the creators that are on the ground in indie, but it's something that the studios already know the truth about. So for example, I love the horror genre. I just, there's something about it. There's something that's like my favorite thing. I love the twist, the turns, whatever. 
without saying, I love the blood. Mm -hmm. I love the nudity. Right. I love that it's always the rich guy's daughter that gets killed. This is what studios understand about human psychology. Did you know that when violence drops, this is a study, violence drops if men go watch a violent movie on Friday night instead of go to the bar. If they forego the violent movie to go to the bar, violence increases in cities. Mm. So there's something about having us go to the movies and see something violent that sort of cleanses that need for us. And of course, Akato, there are obvious exceptions, but, or of course there are obvious exceptions. That's the actual acronym. <laughs> but in general, it cleanses us and then we're good. And we don't need to go out and do anything crazy. We saw it on the screen already. Like we're good to go. And so if you get in a conversation about why you like that film, you're not going to say, I like it because that guy got uh, an arrow thrown through his eyeball. We're not going to say something gruesome like that because we have a bias for social acceptance. But the reality is, is we actually do better. That is actually why we want to go see it. It is actually what gets a 19 to 25 year old male to get out of his house and go buy popcorn and Cokes and go to the movie and see this big explosive thing on screen. It's the, it, you know, getting the truth from the viewers and trying to get to the bottom of what they really want to see is critical for indie filmmakers when they're telling a story. And if they want to tell a great story, you have to have the elements in the film that make it spicy. Yeah, well, I think you just jumped into the, a different lie, not just an extension, which is when you try to tell, I'll, I'll just put it like this very simply, there are rules to this game. Mm -hmm. So when you lie to yourself and you say that you don't need to play by those rules because of whatever level of uniqueness you have or your level of creativity, the rules are there not for the sake of rigidity rigidity or the sake of sameness, but it is what you just said a couple of seconds ago, which is it's basic human psychology. Yep. You know, you got Save the Cat, you got the <laughs> filmmaker's journey, you know, the, the hero's journey. It's the human psychology. You know, you've got, you know, Bird Shakespeare. Yeah, but you got Shakespeare. You know, you've got the seven deadly sins, mm -hmm. right? Like, like the way all this stuff works, it's just human psychology. It isn't really rocket science. So that's the thing. It's like, how can you be creative within the rules? So again, for me, the lie is that you, that you tell yourself and maybe others is that you don't need to conform, right? And again, it's not about conformity. It's not about sameness. It's about there are rules to human psychology and human behavior that if you hit these particular notes, then again, that person will go see that horror film because it hits all the notes and, yeah. you know, won't perpetrate violence on their family or whatever. But <laughs> <laughs> well, there's, there's, two, there's two ways to boil it down really simply. If you're on the storytelling side, two things to boil it down. One, 
you, if you're writing a story, you have to make sure your character really truly suffers. Because the more they suffer, the, the stakes go up and the audience likes it. The second thing is to remember that as you are aspirational, the viewer is also aspirational. They believe in the lie that they're telling. Mm -hmm. This was proved out with, with Netflix. If you had Netflix 10 years ago or eight years ago, you might've noticed that you could create a list of things you were going to watch later. What Netflix found out is you never clicked on those things you're going to watch later. There's a part of you that was aspirational as a viewer that said, I am going to watch that documentary. I am going to watch it. But you never did. And Netflix has the data to prove it. <laughs> Netflix you, says, no, 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 no. Yeah. Look at the feed. That's who you are. Who you are, right. Who you You're watching are, this is who you pretend to be. Right. right. Who you are is someone who's going to watch 10 things I hate about you for the 50th time. Yeah, right. That's who you are. But your aspirational self wants to watch Octopus documentary. Teacher. Right. right. So they got rid of that list and instead they replaced it with something called the doppelganger um, search. And the doppelganger search is been is used by amazon it's used by anywhere you buy things now that's how powerful it is and how it works out for the consumer is you click a thing and they match you to people that are like you and that way they're able to feed you content you might like if you go on amazon if you buy a book it'll say people that bought this book also bought this stuff Amazon increased their sales by 33% by doing that. Yeah. And that kills me too, though. Cause you know, when you've got, when you've got other people in your house and you use the same account to search for stuff. So like, you know, yeah. if I'm on Netflix and then my son who's, you know, 10 wants to find this new cartoon movie or whatever it is, I got Netflix sending me that stuff now. I was like, I this stuff out of my <laughs> See, I love it. Cause I'm like, you don't know me, bitch. <laughs> you right, exactly. You think you, you think know you know me, me? But you don't know you me. You don't know me. I don't right. want to watch Spirit. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to watch my yes, little pony. That's you right. Thought, you thought I mean, you knew thought me. you knew me. Right. You, you don't know me. me. I'm straight NC 17. <laughs> if it's not NC-17, I don't want to watch. That's right. <laughs> TVMA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If it's not, don't give me no TVMA-14. Don't give me no TV-14. I don't want TV-14. It's not TVMA. MA. <laughs> I'm not watching. Nick. Yeah, man. Oh, don't lie to me. Did you have a good time? Always, man. Always. No lies. No, no lies. 33%. 33% of this conversation I did not enjoy, but the other 66.6666666667% on point. 33% of this podcast was a lie, if you're listening. Wait, wait. See if you can figure out which which were we actually lying about. We'll send you a hoodie. And if you want to tell us and, and tell us which part you thought we lied about, you can do that, Nick. You can do that by reaching out How? to us at contact mm. at bonsai.film. That's an email address, there as I go. always say. And you can reach out to us a variety of ways, a variety of ways, sorry, outside of email, which is, uh, let's say, social media, for example, Instagram, Twitter, 
can hit us up at underscore Bonsai Creative on YouTube. Yes, YouTube and Facebook. You can just search for Bonsai Creative and we'll come right up. If you want to reach out to me and Nick directly, easy stuff. Nick is at Nick, N-I-C-K, at Bonsai.film. And I uh, like to get responses on Twitter. So you can just search for Christopher Barkley on Twitter or Flame in Your Heart. And your is spelled with just U-R. So Flame in Your Heart on Twitter. Hit me up. I will reach back out to you. I promise. And then if you want to learn more about Bonsai Creative and the Make It podcast and get links to everything, join our newsletter, be a member of our site, be a true fan, any of those things, you can go to www.bonsai.film. It is a good time there. We also have an industry insights blog you can be a part of. I mentioned true fans, contributions. You know, we have to, you know, do this podcast. Here's what people think. People think, Nick, that doing a podcast is like easy. Like it's no problem. Anybody can do it. It's a lie. Yep. It's a lie. (laughs) And it's a half truth. Half of it, because the truth part is, yeah, anybody can do it. The lie part is, is to do it means to do it consistently. Yeah. On time, every time, without failure, until the end of time. And to do that takes massive resources. So feel feel free if you believe that. <laughs> Hopefully you do believe that. That is the truth. That is not a 33%er thing. It is true. So if you believe that, then uh, feel free to contribute at... Uh, bonsai.film slash true fans contribution started $5. And uh, that's the cost of a chai latte. You know, like you can support this wonderful podcast for the cost of a coffee at Starbucks. And I think it is well worth it. Last, but certainly not least, don't forget to rate us on Spotify, YouTube, or Apple podcast, five stars. It means the world to us. It helps people find us. expand this podcast expand the message and it helps more filmmakers out so if you can do that for us we will be forever grateful and so with that long diatribe and monologue i just gave nick can you send us off with the credo oh yes sir so everybody out there thank you for listening again keep it up let's make it happen i just said make it like how that works (laughs) so make sure exactly be better be creative, and be engaged. And thank you for listening. Nick, talk to you soon. Yes, sir. We'll do it, man. We'll do it again. All right, brother. Be good. All right, man. Take it easy. Peace. Peace. You've been listening to the Make It Podcast. To find out more information about this week's topics, including links to relevant blog posts, projects, and indie creatives, please visit our website at www.bonsai.film. If you haven't already, you can join our podcast community, on Apple Podcasts or the podcast app of your choice by searching for Make It Bonsai Creative and the show will pop right up. You now have the opportunity to support the production of this podcast. If you love Make It and are a true fan of what we're trying to accomplish in the indie film community, please visit www.bonsai.film and click Contribute. Contributions start at only $5 monthly. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at underscore Bonsai Creative and on Facebook by searching for Bonsai Creative. 
You can provide feedback to us via email at contact at bonsai.film. And you can follow me, Chris, on Twitter at Flaming Your Heart. That's F-L-A-M-E-I-N-U-R-H-E-A-R-T. And of course, if you're looking to take a big step towards your filmmaking success, go to www.bonsai.film and click on Services to explore a variety of offerings from keynotes and panels to pitch readiness assessments and so much more. You have everything to gain. Until next time, be better, be creative, be engaged, and thank you for listening.